Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day. You can always get the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or by downloading the Faith Radio app. That's super easy to do. Just text APP to 877-933-2484. That's also the text line. It's open during the show. So good morning. Uh, Let me know that you are out there. Where in the word are you? Where in the world are you? All the good things. Um, so it's like vacation season. People are doing all kinds of cool things, going interesting places, taking in the sights. Um, it could quickly turn. It can quickly turn. Um, somebody, a young man visiting the Grand Canyon, stepped out out there onto one of those large observation decks that are transparent. Um, and we don't know the circumstances, but he fell to his death. Um, We also don't know all of the circumstances related to two college students, 20 and 21, traveling in Germany, um, again, uh, observing an old historic castle, and um, another individual pushed them off a cliff, and one of those young women has died, and one has recently been released from the hospital. Like, these are stories where... um, that which you had been planning and saving up for dream dream trips really did turn into um into a terrible nightmare and I want to be lifting up uh, those families and then there's this story uh the Canadian and American coast guards are actively searching right now for a lost tourist submersible near the wreckage of the Titanic so we're talking about the northern atlantic uh some 370 miles off the coast of Newfoundland uh this um, submersible is like the size of a truck. There are five people known to be on board. Um, and the Titan, which is the name of this submersible, last transmitted its regular signal on Sunday afternoon, just about an hour and 45 minutes into the dive. Um, every passing minute now puts the Titan's crew, um, all of those on board at great risk. The submersible had 96 hours of oxygen uh, supply when it put to sea. That was at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. So the missing submersible is owned by Ocean Gate Enterprises, and they offer an eight-day $250,000 excursion um, to visit the Titanic, like, you know, to venture 12,000 feet below the ocean surface and to view the shipwreck where some 1,500 people died in 1912. So we know um, of the people on board the submersible, there is a pilot. There is um, a billionaire from the UK named uh, Hamish Harding. There is a Pakistani businessman named uh, Shahazda uh, Daywood and his son, Suleiman. 
The fifth passenger has not been publicly identified yet, but every life is of extraordinary value. Um, Every life is precious. No amount of accumulated wealth could save you under these circumstances. And so this particular story gives us an opportunity to have that conversation with other people. Like, can you imagine? Can you? I can't even begin to imagine. I can't imagine spending $250,000 on this kind of experience, but I also cannot imagine something that was such a dream turning into such a nightmare. Um, I I can't imagine um, being lost in this way, being in the darkness and the depths in this way. And so it does give us an opportunity to talk about the fact that help literally has to come from the outside, that salvation has to come from one who would seek to save the lost. And so what the Coast Guard is doing is really a demonstration of the gospel. And it's a good opportunity for us to talk with others today about the help that has come from the outside, how Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. Um, I also think that just on a personal level, it gives me an opportunity to reflect on um, the reality of God's presence everywhere all the time. So some from Psalm 139, let me offer these verses. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become as night around me, well, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I'm praying that the light of God and um, and his grace would shine upon those um, who are currently lost at sea. Next up, uh, Dr. Brett Nix is going to join us from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to survey some of the health news of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Brett Nix is joining us now. You can find him at brettnixmd.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you today? I'm well. What happened to the common cold? Boy, nothing. It's exactly the same as it was before. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, I think it's it's fascinating. You know, many of you see this in the news right now. You get a common cold, the thing that you would have had back in the day, uh, but it's, everything seems to be by a different name now. You know, aside from the occasional new virus, and again, COVID being an, an exceptional one that we, that we uh, had to navigate through over a course of years, many of the typical upper respiratory infections, the cough, the colds that we know them to be, have been known for a long time with their medical terms. And people ask about them. You hear about adenovirus and enterovirus and respiratory syncytial virus, and the names go on and on. In medicine, we've known about them for ages. We just typically tell people they have a virus. And Unfortunately, as science has improved with all of this test fatigue, uh, people want to know, is there a test for it and what do I do? You know, and the challenge with this is I think many times we forget the simple, simple stuff, which is in general, uh, most kids, uh, teenagers and under probably have exposure and uh, have at least 13 different respiratory infections a year, sometimes with minimal symptoms. And what we know most of the time, there's no treatment, there's no need for testing, and it's what we typically call a cold. Yes, it may be a different virus each time, and they last five to seven days. We know that to be true. Nasal congestion, cough, eye irritation. 
the thing that we typically forget is we don't want to prevent our exposure to viruses uh, because that is what builds our immune system. That is how our bodies are designed and created to go ahead and allow us to have a robust ability to fight infections and to be aware of those types of things. The thing that we have to keep in mind is the common cold. If you're extreme of age, if you're somebody who has immune suppression, you take medications that that uh, minimize your ability to fight infections, you have an increased risk. And so there is a different level of concern. And we know that. But the reality mm-hmm. of things, when people come in, hey, I've got congestion. Can you test for it? It doesn't change what I'm going to do, whether this is an adenovirus, this is a different type of a virus. Uh, in general, it's uh, symptomatic management, navigating the things. And again, if you are somebody who has underlying disease concerns, talk to your doctor in advance, uh, but continue to follow probably what your grandmother would have taught you back in the day. Get some rest, hydrate yourself, and manage your symptoms. Um, So a lot of us across the country were exposed to some very poor air quality um, because of fires in Canada, but there... Air quality is actually an issue in various places, uh, in various seasons um, or times for all kinds of reasons. Can you talk with us about air quality and poor air quality and its effects uh, on us and maybe what to do in the midst of it? Yeah, boy, air quality is a, is a challenge. For those who are old enough to remember, you may recall pictures in the newspaper of California, Los Angeles and whatnot in the 70s and 80s where the sky was orange uh, because of the pollutants that were there and the issues of air quality. Well, those things, while areas have improved and our environmental processes have improved, issues like wildfires occur, uh, issues with population density, especially in developing countries, uh, as well as the seasonal things that are effective for allergens, air quality is very, very real. And what you'll end up finding, just like uh, those that were in the Northeast, we saw air quality issues uh, with uh, air quality ratings in the hundreds, which is not good for anyone. People that have underlying issues like asthma, people that have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, lung pathology, these are common triggers to make them get very, very sick very, very quickly. Uh, Many others have heard about the typical thing. You walk outside. This is not like being at a campfire for a few minutes where maybe you have some eye irritation. This is a persistent irritation that can trigger issues with heart attacks. It can trigger issues with persistent headaches. And there's even, even studies that have shown that it increases the irritability with kids because it's a simple fact. These are particulate matters in the air. Sometimes it's the uh, remains of wildfires, so the carbon and stuff that is in the air is an irritant. Sometimes it's pollutants because of manufacturing and other types of issues. Sometimes it's just the natural ponds in high degree in certain season periods. That irritation triggers inflammation in your body. Inflammation Mm -hmm. in your body is stress. And so if you have underlying disease conditions, those things can be exacerbated. This could be skin conditions, this can be lung conditions, this can be heart conditions. All of these things are very real. So what do we do about them? Number one, if you are somebody who's at risk, you need to minimize your exposure when the conditions are bad. Uh, That may mean you're not going outside for a run. You're going to have to stay in your house. Maybe you have to get an air purifier for your home if you have very, very significant conditions. Now, recognize that fortunately, most of these situations are seasonal or short-lived. Uh, and we have to be very, very particular and very uh, take appropriate precautions. As you stated earlier, this is travel season. If you're going to cities like Beijing, if you're going to cities around the world that have known uh, issues with pollutants, make sure you check in on this before you go to make sure that you have what you need and that you're going to be able to protect yourself well. That's so helpful. Um, let's continue our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix in just a moment. We know that the Surgeon General of the United States has issued 
um, uh, an, an alert related to social media and our kids. Well, what are the particular recommendations the Surgeon General is now offering? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Brett Nix, you can find him at brettnixmd.com. Um, talk with us, Brett, about the Surgeon General's um, warning related to kids in social media and then now the the, the recommendations um, or tips that the Surgeon General is offering to parents. You know, it's really fascinating to see that despite the fact that we know the impact of smartphones, smart devices, uh, the impact on the brain, especially for adults, we still don't know to full capacity what this means in kids. And I can tell you, working in the emergency department, the impact that I see on the behavioral challenges uh, in adolescents and teens has exponentially grown even before COVID hit, but concurrent with COVID and likely over the last decade because of these devices. The brain effect just from using a smartphone is like binging on junk food, and you are re-triggering all of these processes in the brain to desire having this thing Uh, And what we know in 2022, 95% of teenagers had a smartphone in hand on a daily basis. You know, the challenge that we have here was identified by the Surgeon General. Uh, There's an increasing risk exposure to inappropriate content. We know that to be true. Our kids are saying things that they should not be exposed to, number one. Number two, it drives this issue of what we call a comparison crisis. Everything that they see is then placed in, in an elevated position where they're seeing a highlight reel of someone else's life. And then they drive this comparison to themselves, having diminishing self-value, diminishing self-worth. And we see this significantly across the medical paradigm. The challenges that we face, number one, is that the vast majority of kids from a connection perspective, the way schools work, the way activities work, they're connecting through social media platforms. Hey, this is where where the schedule is posted. This is how we communicate with our teams. And so navigating that becomes a challenge. What was identified because of these uncertainties on what this looks long-term, the Surgeon General highlighted some of the things that we all know to be true. Number one, talks about having a conversation with your kids long before social media is, is something that is active for them. Identifying the issues about harassment and bullying, things that existed before but are in a very different manner right now. You know, one of the things that we set up in our house with our kids is we actually set up a contract. We sat down and wrote a contract with them before they had a cell phone. The number one thing on there was you will be respectful of those in your family. Uh, in the absence of respect, this privilege goes away. Uh, and there are many different things that you can put on there. The things about uh, at mealtime, cell phones will not be at the table. You'll have cell-free uh, tech zones uh, where you will not have your cell phone present. We don't allow our kids to have their phones uh, or their devices in their bedrooms. There's no need for that. If they're doing homework, otherwise you have it in a common space. You put them in situations that allow it to be a positive opportunity rather than negative. You know, other things as well is if you're just not sure what to do, look online with resources, talk to other parents, but recognize the vast majority of people don't uh, navigate a self, a, a safe environment for their kids related to their phones. They don't have parameters. They don't have these conversations and they're under the assumption that a kid who still has a developing brain is going to be able to make positive decisions related to technology that allows pretty much full access to just about anything. So what we know at this point in time is if your children have cell phones, make sure you have conversations. Make sure that every so often you're checking on your phone, whether that be with, a, with a, an app that allows you to track or just the ability for them to understand 
that it's used for a positive purpose. Let them hand you your fo- their phones and be able to look through that. See who they're snapping with. See who they're chatting with. Understand those conversations. Uh, the best thing you can do for them more than anything else is to let them know that you love them and that you want to establish trust. And trust comes from an open communication. That is going to be essential. Um, Brett, endometriosis is something that a lot of women suffer with. There are probably some people listening that are not familiar with endometriosis, so I'd like for you to briefly describe what it is. Um, I think that the causes of it have been um, a bit of a mystery in the past. It Might it be caused by bacteria? You know, endometriosis is a challenge, and for those who have it, uh, it is a unique challenge that many people just don't understand. You know, what it is, is it's migration of the tissue from the lining of the uterus. So in a woman's body, the uterus, the womb, as some people will call it, uh, that tissue sometimes gets ectopic. It gets outside of that space. And most commonly, it's to the organs in the pelvic region where it attaches and it grows. And just like the uterus changes through a monthly cycle, the the menstrual cycle, those other tissues that are outside the uterus do the same things. They grow, they swell, and they go through that process. And for many, causing ridiculous amounts of discomfort and pain, uh, which can be very, very severe in many situations. Common treatments uh, typically are hormonal therapies that minimize the frequency and the growth, if you will, of the uterine tissue. And so, therefore, it minimizes it. And sometimes surgery can go in and remove uh, parts of the endometriosis that is identified. Uh, But again, it's not curative as it stands. We really don't understand the whole process around it other than when people have it, the best we can do is try to manage their symptoms. You know, there is some studies that are coming out of Japan and a few other places. They've just looked at different types of host bacteria and saying, is there a possibility where uh, certain people may have a bacterial issue uh, that may be present in their gut that becomes uh, inflammatory and triggering this episode? Really what they're looking at right now are these mice models. And they found that uh, in these situations, this fusobacterium, as it's known, uh, has a higher predilection. It's a higher process that is present that may be actually causing not just its presence, but its ongoing growth. Uh, if indeed this ends up being the case, the nice thing about a fusobacterium process is there's an antibiotic care course that can be given that could go ahead and minimize the amount of fusobacterium ongoing, therefore minimizing the ongoing growth and possibly the symptoms related to endometriosis. If indeed this ends up being true and a clinical trial is now underway, uh, that will be tremendous. Now, but there's still a lot that we just don't know. There's still much going on in this process. But the fact that we have something that may be related to a treatable a process that is not surgically related uh, is really quite promising. So good. So, uh, so encouraging. Um, it's always encouraging to know that, you know, like medical science is actually moving forward and uh, we appreciate that so much. Um, hey, thank you so much for being with us today, Brett. Always a joy to talk with you. Blessings on you as you serve those in the emergency department and your family and your church as well. We thank you for taking out the time to be with us. Anytime, Carmen. My pleasure being here. Check out what's going on at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. You can connect directly with Dr. Brett Nix at brettnixmd.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. There's a lot of confusion in the culture today in terms of identity and So um, it's not just something that's taking place 
among adults or an adult conversation, like kids are genuinely confused and adults are breeding confusion among children. And so I just want to do a quick reality reset here. You are not, nor can you be anything you imagine. I know that, I know that culture tells you that, but it's just not true. You and I are creatures. There is a creator um, and he has made us in his image. We are finite. We are limited. We are mortal. And yes, we are humid, human. And it is uh, remarkable. Like we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So I want you to um, imagine for a moment that you're 13 years old and you're a girl um, and you have been called despicable by one of your school teachers because following a class assignment during which one of your fellow students identified as a cat, you raised concern. So you're 13 years old. You are um, participating in the end of the year lesson on life education where you have been told, quote, uh, you can be who you want to be and identify how you want to identify. It's completely up to you. And so after the lesson, one of the students asked her classmate, how can you identify as a cat when you are a girl? And the school teacher reprimanded this student and her friend and said they were being um, despicable and reported them to school officials. Um, they uh, said that these students were no longer welcome at the school if they, quote, continued to express the view that only boys and girls exist. So we face a genuine challenge of delusion in, in the world today, not just here in the United States, but in Western culture writ large. And so Katie McCoy is going to join us. She has written a book entitled To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. And if you don't think it's important to know the answers to this question, I want you to imagine that you are the parent of that 13-year-old girl who came home from school and said, I can't go back because I don't think a girl is a cat. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Katie McCoy is joining us now. Her book, To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. Dr. McCoy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. So great to be with you. What a story you shared before the break. I know. Well, that's just me, like, Googling whatever the headline is today related to this. Like, it, I, I could Google tomorrow and it'll be another story. Like, this yep. is, is happening um, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in our families and in our churches. So thank you so much for this timely and important work that you're doing. Um, maybe let's circle back and help people understand, like, what what are the origins of trans identity? Like, what is going on and where does this conversation bloom from? So the trans identifying person, we can actually find evidence of that in history from thousands of years back, that actually is nothing new. There was even a Roman emperor who reportedly would pay surgeons to give him the anatomy of a female and wanted to be called Domina instead of Dominus, so essentially female 
pronouns, if you like. But what's happened now is not only the terms and technology have changed, but we have a culture and an ideology that says exactly what you were alluding to in that story, that you can be whatever you want to be, whomever you want to be, and that it is a fundamental human right to fashion your life, particularly your sexuality, gender identity, and family, according to your feelings and desires, and not according to any other factor, including your biological self and nature. I address this in my book to be a woman that there are a lot of different philosophical ideas that helped create this, essentially tee us up for this moment. And when we peel back those layers, it's it's a little more understandable how we got here. But for most of us, it's like we're waking up to a different world than what it was five, 10 years ago, and we're just trying to catch up with it. Yeah, and there's so many um, threads that you pull together um, here in in this book to be a woman. You help us um, tie together critical theory, trans identity, and philosophy to help explain how gender and sexuality have been separated in people's minds and um, and then in their uh, in their lived experience. So there are a lot of folks though who wouldn't be able to, in any meaningful way, like explain or express critical theory or trans identity um and so it's like we don't even know what the parts are and then and then we can't put the pieces together so can we walk around a little bit in tying together critical theory trans identity and then philosophy to explain how gender and sexuality have been separated in the conversation of the day Mm -hmm. So critical theory as we have it today, and of course how it began um, was uh, from uh, Derrida, and it's it's sort of evolved into a social idea writ large that we're all functioning according to. But essentially what we have today with critical theory is that if something is the cultural majority – then it is necessarily oppressive to the minority. And that extends to everything from economic systems to family structures to religions. And so anything that is the dominant idea in a society, it needs to be decentered, if you like, taken away from its privileged place of social consciousness and majority and replaced with some type of minority view. I think we saw this perfectly in the nuns of perpetual indulgence and Mm. how they received an award from the Dodgers. Well, this is a very small group, right? In, in a, in a, in one city um, where they have cropped up and, and claim to be somehow a, a humanitarian group while they are mocking the Lord Jesus, um, utterly blasphemous things that uh, honestly, it's just, if we were in the old Testament, I would be walking away before the lightning started. Um, And, and this group is given an award by San Francisco uh, or by the, the San Francisco Dodgers. And yet you have how many more Catholics in our society that were protesting that? Well, why is it that one group one over the other, even though that one is such a small minority. It's because of this shift in our social consciousness that critical theory has had that effect, that if something is the majority, well, 
it should no longer have a privileged place in society. Transfer that to our ideas about gender. The idea that there are only two genders is a dominant social idea that people have also linked to saying it perpetuates capitalism, it perpetuates patriarchy. And that's also why genuine gender ideologues, the ones who are being honest, Carmen, will acknowledge that they have an affinity for Marx and his ideas and how those should be perpetuated and propagated in society to things outside and beyond the economic sphere. So much of what we have in our gender-confused age, it isn't just confusion. It is an idea that uh, one culture cannot have the authority to tell other people who they are. In other words, they don't have the market on truth of saying there really are only two genders, no matter who or from what authority they're saying that. Here we're saying that based on the revealed truth, not only of the Bible, just look at the revealed truth of creation. And Romans 1 tells us that, that we have natural revelation describing for us the order, depicting for us the order, purpose, and design that God created the natural world to have. So one of the effects of critical theory is to throw all of that out the window and say, who are the minority voices? Who are the minority perspectives? Recenter that, elevate them to a more privileged place in society and tell other people that they need to take a back seat. That's so well said. Um, and I think helps me understand sort of the challenge that I face um, when I am seeking to say in a culture um, or to an individual who is absolutely living in a delusion, mm. um, like your, your up is down and your down is up. And that is not true. Um, but that's hard to do. And so I want you to help us, um, Katie, I want you to help us speak the truth in love in the cultural context of the day. Like, how do I equip my kids, my grandkids, um, when they have peers who want to be called by a different name and or by different pronouns? Like, let's, let's do some rubber meets the road here. Yeah, that is a very challenging one, in part because, especially depending on the age of the child, that is a heavy mantle to place on an mm -hmm. 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, because they are um, living in kind of the confluence of a lot of ideas and agendas. We're seeing a strong move, especially post-COVID, when parents became a little more aware of how these ideas were being propagated in public schools, we're seeing a big shift in just the education models. There's a lot more uh, push for school choice and then homeschooling movements. I don't have kids myself, so I know this is easier said than done, but, but I, I would affirm what so many parents are doing of just removing them from that public school system if possible, because these ideas are being uh, really pushed on very vulnerable children. The, the big idea, as you said, speaking the truth in love, is to remember that we are always 
not only representing Christ, but representing the truth that sets us free, that what people are searching for in these ideas is something that will give them a sense of peace, a sense of wholeness, um, a, a sense of even purpose. And all of those things the Lord Jesus offers us when we are in right relationship with him. So the first thing, especially for parents, is to have these conversations in an age-appropriate way as early as possible, because the best way to understand what a counterfeit is, is to study the original, to understand what the truth is so that they can identify what is false. But then also to recognize that they are going to be confronting false ideas in an environment that is trying to present those false ideas as the way to freedom. And if they can keep that in mind, that what they are confronting is essentially like a different gospel, right? It's a different way to find fulfillment, to find redemption, to find freedom and and salvation, that what these children are having to confront is not just a different ideology, but really, for all intents and purposes, a different religion. And when we understand it like that, we can see ourselves as we truly are, cultural missionaries, into an environment with a very different faith system, system of, um, oh, we saw it in the story of the girl who wouldn't agree that her classmate was a cat. There's a different system now of penalties and and payments and atonement, and it is functioning as the the dominant religion, the increasingly dominant religion of our day. And so I would say, first of all, age-appropriate education. And, you know, the more I am learning about this movement, Carmen, the more I'm convinced we, we need to hold the line on what is true. So many of these pushes for preferred pronouns are about compelled and controlled speech. You know, it's moved away from just being compassionate to someone where they are. And it's far more about um, acknowledging or acquiescing, even submitting your own conscience to the beliefs of someone else. And so I think the first thing we have to keep in mind is that we truly are missionaries to a very antagonistic culture in a way that we weren't just a decade ago. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Katie McCoy here in just a moment. The book is To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and how Christians can respond. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Katie McCoy Um, Her book is To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. You're wondering where you can 
uh, connect with Katie online, blondeorthodoxy.com, blondeorthodoxy.com. That's where you can connect with all of her socials as well and read in a little bit on this topic um, uh, if you're interested, and I, and I know you are. Um, Katie, when, when we think about um, gender transitioning, like I think this is the conversation that's happening not only culture-wide, but it is happening in our um, in our legislatures uh, across the country at a state level, and in our communities in terms of like how people present themselves, and you know I, I don't know is it the parents, you know, how old is the right age, like all of this, I mean crazy conversations that I can't even believe we're having, and yet mm-hmm. we have to have them. Can you talk with us a little bit about like the 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 biology, like what's going on, what kind of I'm going to use the term damage. What kind of damage is being done when hormone therapies are offered before a child has gone through puberty? Yes, to some extent, we're still learning them because the the first of the medical treatments are called puberty blockers. And uh, these things are uh, drugs that were designed to arrest the production of hormones so that a cancer patient could respond better to treatment. In other words, they were drugs created to heal. They've been prescribed off-label to halt the production of hormones among pubescent and prepubescent children. We are still learning the effects, particularly the long-term effects of these drugs. Our own FDA came out about a year ago and acknowledged that it can cause brain swelling and uh, some other horrific uh, side effects that includes a a change in bone density, higher risk of stroke. Um, But but these things should be, you know, nightly news headlines, front page of newspapers, but they're not because it goes against a prescribed cultural narrative. Beyond that, people move to cross-sex hormones and overwhelmingly a child who does the puberty blockers moves on to cross-sex hormones in part, and this is where people see what they want to, uh, but but it's hard to reverse course. That child has been identifying relationally as the person of the opposite gender. And so it is about 90% or so who go on to cross-sex hormones. Well, that causes horrific side effects that do not get enough attention because especially for a female, she's being injected with uh, foreign testosterone And by the way, Planned Parenthood is one of the largest purveyors of that testosterone among trans-identifying women. Uh, Males are receiving estrogen, and there is such a connection between foreign estrogen and blood clots. My own own doctor uh, said, you know, now when when a, a transgender man comes into the emergency room with certain symptoms, we just assume it's blood clots because they've been taking estrogen. And, and it is a, an attempt to fashion the body and make it respond to certain things that it was never created to, to ingest, to endure. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our entire bodies are structured around the place that they have, the role that they have in reproduction. And that's, that's one of the ways that we can define and understand what a man or a woman is. It doesn't mean that your manness or womanness is depend on dependent upon whether or not you have baby. It's that your body is structured and fashioned around that, but that's not all. 
it moves to surgical treatments and surgical treatments are uh, one of two categories. It is either the uh, removal of otherwise healthy reproductive organs or the construction of a prosthetic that is of the opposite gender. And that is also causing some horrific side effects that, that people have and have to endure. And so all of this is done uh, and doctors, some doctors are sounding the alarm and of course they get suppressed by, by mainstream media. And they're saying this is medical experimentation on children and it is being institutionalized nationwide. Here's the amazing thing, Carmen, there are progressive nations, far more politically progressive than ours, like Sweden the United Kingdom, um, and I believe either Finland or Norway has joined them. They were doing these treatments on children and they have reversed course. They have said, it's not helping. It's not helping the mental health of these mm -hmm. children like we thought it would. And so they are reversing course on their policies. The United States has yet to catch up. And uh, I, I don't know that it will. We have a mindset that is very different from our European neighbors that tends to believe that all change is progress and all progress is good. But I think we're seeing the tide turn. I think we're seeing parents wake up to the reality of this and say enough. And we're also seeing some very brave young women sue their doctors and health insurance companies for allowing them to go through um, incredibly life-altering treatments when what they needed was help for their mental and psychological help, psychological health. They, they were needing emotional care. They were needing psychological help. And instead they were ushered into these life altering, permanently damaging uh, quote unquote solutions. Katie, we didn't have time today to get into, um, you know, everything that I would like to get into with you. Would you come back? I would love to come back. I would I would really appreciate that. You're so measured. You're so articulate. Um, you know your content so so well, and we need so much help. So um, thank you in advance, uh, Dr. Katie McCoy, author of "To Be a Woman." You can connect with Katie and find the book BlondeOrthodoxy.com, um, and we will have Katie back to be a woman: the confusion over female identity and how Christians can respond. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. I feel like every day um, we're talking with people that we want to have ongoing conversations with. I mean, I loved Karen Ellis yesterday. That was such a rich conversation today. Uh, Katie McCoy. Hey, God's got really great people out there um, on the front lines. Let's be praying for them. I remember our conversation with Abigail Schreier a couple of years ago after she wrote Irreversible Damage. And I just, I just remember how hard it was to stand in the place that she was standing and say the things that she was saying speaking the truth in a culture that very much um, loves the delusion it's living in. And so let's be praying today for Katie McCoy. Um, and let's be let's be continuing to pray for Abigail Schreier and others who are helping us as Christians to remain in the truth and to, yes, learn to speak the truth in, in, in a culture that um, has very much rejected it. Let's be praying for people who are confused and lost and walking in darkness today. Um, this is not about shaming anyone. This is about sharing the good news of the gospel with everyone. 
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.